podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. The boys are back, and it is the first time we have done a show in a brewery-slash-drinking establishment in a really long time. I know the coffee fiend, Nick, is really going to like this. He missed uh, doing all these shows. And this is actually the second place in Manhattan we've done one. We are at Manhattan Brewing Company. But before I talk about that, I want to introduce the first guest of Blitz Month this week blitz month this week man i remember when it was blitz week there was two <laughs> weeks last year's a month now it's a month again uh but we roll on with blitz month with my dad's favorite guest i think everyone's favorite guest usually i like to save uh this for one of the last ones i like to build up to this guy but it's been too long since i've had him on the podcast and school's about to start so i wanted to get together i wanted to hang out with one of my favorite people i've ever met from the internet you know you know how your mom told you don't meet strangers from the internet well i'm undefeated meeting my friends from the internet and one of my best friends is jimmy goheen aka ksu underscore fan jimmy how's your summer been i've missed you i'm glad we're getting to hang out and also how ready are you for football season the patented three questions in one from me I, I've had a good, really good summer. Um, my wife and I were able to do a trip to Wyoming and a trip to Louisville and some, some bourbon distillers. And then my family went to Pagosa Springs, Colorado for a few days. So we've, we've got our travel in. We've got some relaxed and downtime. And now we're ready. My wife and I are both teachers. We're ready to get back into it. Um, looking forward to... Uh, getting on with you again I, i've always enjoyed being on bosco's boys and uh just being a part of this show and being a part of blitz week i listened to all last week's guests and, and some good stuff yeah i i love blitz week blitz month i love it all um i know sometimes one of your sons listens he hates it that i hype you up a bunch <laughs> i'm not gonna hype you up a bunch i want to give a shout out to your wife uh because i'm a big fan of her i'm a big fan of your entire family <laughs> great family i think it all starts with the head of the family you so props to you we're gonna get into blitz month but before we do everyone who listened last week knew that adopt don't shop uh sponsored last week again that's never going to stop. If you're in the market for a furry friend, get to your local uh, you know, pet shelter. But we are at Manhattan Brewing Co., and they're actually sponsoring this entire week of Blitz Month. I love it. This is such a fun place. This is the second time you and I have been here. It's the perfect little brewery, amazing space. They got K-State decor. I think right now they have, what, 412... Like over 16 different beers on tap. It is the perfect spot. They have a lot of fun stuff going on here in September. I'm actually drinking on the Condor, which is the double IPA that they made with Connor Riley. Jimmy, how many like offensive line coaches across the country do you think collaborated with a brewery for his own double IPA? It probably should be all of them, but I would I would guess Connor's in a pretty elite group. But I'm I'm guessing there's got to be at least five or six half a dozen that, that have done this in local joints in college towns 
Yeah, I, probably. But I, I'm, I'm pumped that uh, Manhattan Brewing Co. did that with them. I, I was talking with Jake from Manhattan Brewing Company, and uh, he, he teased a couple collaborations they have coming up. So you guys got to come in. And again, um, it's on their socials, but they're going to have a fun event the Friday before the Missouri game with Stan Weber. And I think there's going to be some former players. That's all I'm going to say. But stay tuned to their uh, social pages for that because it's going to be fun. And again, this is delicious beer. They're going to be sponsoring the entire week, and hopefully we'll be working with them uh, on again, off again throughout the entire next year. But again, anytime you're coming to Manhattan, you guys know me. You know how much I love beer. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be visiting here quite a bit. So if you see me, come up. If you find me out in the wild, if you tap me on the shoulder at Manhattan Brewing Company, this football season and show me either a piece of Bosco's boy, Boys merchandise or a koozie, I will buy you a beer. So that's the challenge. Actually, I'll change that. Anytime you see me all fall from this moment on, if you have your koozie on you or Bosco's Boys merch, I will buy you a beer. So I have the Condor Delicious Double IPA. Jimmy, you're here and it was, I mean, you've been doing the keto thing. So this is only your second beer since you started. I think you had the peachy wheat. How good does that taste after a summer of bourbon? It, it's really good. Yeah, and I have had quite a few bourbons this summer, but uh, just laying off the beer a little bit. But uh, it is nice to have a, a good peachy wheat. It's nice and light, refreshing uh, when it's 105 degrees out every day. So uh, it's good to to be here at Manhattan Brewing Company. They have some good stuff. Like a, like Scott said, we've we've been here a couple times. It's a, it's a really cool place and. Uh, Come downtown on points in Manhattan and enjoy it. Yes, it is the spot to be. All right, so uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. First off, I want to give you some props because the increase of like Bosco's Boys episodes started with the end of Bruce and the uh, Drone Tang era. Your episode where we broke down all the X's and O's exceeded every other episode that I did for three weeks straight talking all Jerome Tang higher. And that wasn't the first one. That wasn't the last one. You didn't get a press conference bump. You didn't get anything. You shouldered that with your great analysis. So I want to give you props for that. And then I also want to say no pressure, but last Blitz Month, you also <laughs> were the most downloaded Blitz Month. So again, you better come with the goods because your reputation is really hanging in the balance. Well, I appreciate the people that, that listen to, to uh, lots of numbers in my football nerd status, basketball nerd status. Uh, but it's something I enjoy, and I hope people learn some things about uh, what to expect this year. Yeah, and, and like I've said, you've changed the way I watch college football. Um, and honestly, and we might get into this a little bit later, you're part of the reason why I ended up getting attached to Courtney Messingham because uh, I, I don't think his offenses were nearly as bad as what people you know, said. So I kind of blame you for some of the shit I took on Twitter, <laughs> uh, especially towards the end. But we'll, we'll talk about that maybe a, a little bit later. Um, actually, no, we're, we're going to start right there uh, with it. It was maybe the biggest storyline from the back end of last football season and the entire offseason, and that was Courtney Messingham. He's gone. Uh, the angst and anger surrounding his him and the job hopefully is over. You still occasionally will see the tweet or the message board post, but it's over. Um, but, again, when you look at how the offense performed on a per-play and per-drive uh, you know, basis, I thought they were – pretty good they weren't a bad offense last year were they no they weren't at all um 
they finished right in the middle of the Big 12, about fifth in the league in just Big 12 games only. And that's behind Oklahoma, Iowa State, and Baylor in Texas, who essentially tied for third. So there were some pretty good offenses. Uh, nationally, they finished number 24 in the combined FEI SP Plus polls, which takes Brian Fremont's information, Bill Connolly's information, and combines it, um, which I think is the best measure to look at. Not perfect, but I think it's the best measure. Um, they're number three in points, number 33 in points per drive. Number 15 in rushing success rate. Success rate factors in how many yards you gain on each play according to the down and distance. So I think it's a pretty good measure. Again, it's not perfect, but it's a good measure. Um, they're number 15 or number 40 in pass success rate, number 45 in pass efficiency, number 30 in third down conversions. Uh, so they were in the top fifth of the nation, basically on offense. And in the Big 12, which had some really good offenses, they're in the top half. So. Solid offense, inconsistent offense, but again, I think if you take most offensive coordinators and remove their starting quarterback for a third to half their games every year, which is what we've seen the last two years uh, for in 2020 and 2021 for K-State, your offense is going to struggle a little bit. So that's a big factor as well. So, I mean, there's lots of factors that go into this. I think people like to just blame the play caller no matter what, which partially I understand. But he was a solid offensive coordinator. But at the same time, I, I, I'm glad we've moved on. I, I think it was the right move to move on just because of that Texas disaster to finish the regular season. Yeah, that was a disaster. And then again, you started hearing whispers about what was going on in the locker room, what was surrounding kind of the confidence level. Ultimately, I'm surprised Chris Kleiman made the move. Again, it, it was much publicized. Uh, the relationship that they had. I think that says a lot about his growth. And again, also, we won't talk about it specifically, but also bringing in Thad Ward. So I think with the additions of LePac and Ward, Colin Klein's promotion, all eyes are going to be on the offense. So I'm going to ask you this. What are you hoping to see out of Colin Klein as the offensive coordinator and play caller? Do you think they will be able to maintain that efficiency with an increased tempo? And I think what most fans, and I, and I agree with this, kind of the situational play calling in big moments in big games, can we expect to keep that you know efficiency while seeing everything else improve? I think we can, but the biggest thing I want to see is what uh, Coach Kleiman addressed in one of his press conferences this fall, uh, late summer, is playing at a faster pace. And, and he even said, we don't need to run 96 plays per game, I think was his quote, but last year we ran 57 plays per game, which was dead last uh, in the FBS. Uh, we averaged 31 seconds per play, which was 127th out of 130 teams in FBS. So. We were basically the slowest team in the country. Um, the average in the NCAA was between 68 and 67, right at 68.6 plays per game. And seconds per play was about 26.3. So I want to see uh, our, our plays at least get to the mid-60s, maybe push 70. I, I think it's going to be a mix of no huddle at times and huddle at times, which I think is, is a good a good thing for us to try to do. I think it's still important for us to control some pace, but not to the extent we have in the past. So, so I'm like, I'm hoping we see more plays. And, and the point Kleiman made was we need to get our playmakers more touches. And Deuce Vaughn got plenty of touches, but we have guys like Malik Knowles, we have Phillips Brooks, we have uh, 
other receivers in tow, other running backs that might play. Even Adrian Martinez is probably going to rush the ball a little bit more than we did with Thompson and maybe even Will Howard. So uh, to find those touches, you've got to play faster. You can't make more time in a game. So you've got to work with what you got, and no huddle is one way to do so. And so that's probably the main thing I'd like to see. Um, last year we ran at 55% of the time, which I think is a, is a good mix. That was 35th nationally as far as run rate goes. I think that's probably about right, especially with Deuce Vaughn on your team and with Adrian Martinez. And then the other thing that will be interesting, as I mentioned, how much will they run Martinez? Um, including sacks, Martinez ran it 13 times per game at Nebraska, which is wow, quite a bit. 13? Um, and at least, you, at least 12 per game in every season. Again, th some of that includes sacks, which is probably one or two per game. And also, um, and, and I don't know if you have this, I, I don't know if it was Stats of War, our friend Parker on one of his spaces, or maybe it was on his K-State preview, or maybe it was a national guy. I can't remember. Do you have how many of those were designed runs versus? I don't have that. Yeah, that's, but, that's the problem with which, just taking rushing. Yeah, well, and, and that wasn't a shot, but, but I actually think that while his numbers, I, I don't know if it'll be above 12 a game, but I'm hoping with this increase – better offensive line maybe it's only yeah. one or two scrambles hopefully minimal sacks and maybe three to four design runs or you know reads where he keeps it which then allows him to maybe maximize it maybe have that home run threat we know he's capable of versus scrambling for you know his pure life yeah and and in more context of that uh Skyler thompson in his two years with or three years with climbing averaged seven carries per game including sacks with a high of 8.8 .8 in 2019 when he ran a little bit more and was more healthy. And then Will Howard averaged 7.9 per game with a high of 8.7 in 2020 when he was still very green as a quarterback. So you're looking at seven to eight total. Uh, probably I would guess for Thompson in my charts, it was probably two to three design runs per game. For Will Howard, it was probably four to six per game. And I'm guessing Martinez design runs was probably eight to ten per game when he was at Nebraska so that will be interesting to see if there's a change with Adrian Martinez with Colin Klein and with what we're going to do with our offense this year yeah so I'm not going to pretend that I did this research I got my K-State media guide in the mail this week and uh, you know they have like all these blurbs about the returning players and then the newcomers um, and again when you have a new coming quarterback who's started the better part of four seasons you're going to talk a lot a lot about him and again uh, I, I acknowledge that you know some of these are accumulating stats but again it's wild to see where Adrian Martinez ranks among active co uh, college quarterbacks he's number two in rushing touchdowns number two in rushing yards number three in total offense uh, number four in passing or yards per attempt passing, number five in passing TDs, number six in completions, and number six for touchdowns responsible. And then he's third in the nation in points per game when you exclude kickers. And guess who's number one? Deuce, Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, again, I understand why there's some haters from Nebraska. I understand why there's, you know, folks who are not K-State fans. Cough, cough, Andy Mitts of the Rock Chalk Podcast and the 1012 <laughs> Network. I love you, Andy. 
uh, don't be mean to Andy until he says something stupid. I'm sure I'm sure he'll say something that we can argue with him on Twitter. No need to you know go after him until he until he does something. And I promise I'll be right there with you the next time he says something. But Andy's a good guy, but he's not an Adrian Martinez believer. And there are some people out there who are not. And I understand why they're not. But I have a hard time looking at those numbers, looking at the fact that Nebraska, with all those prolific running and passing quarterbacks that they've had, him being the all-time leader in total offense and total yards, I have a hard time looking at all that, accounting for how bullish I am with you know Connor Riley, the Condor, the namesake of this double IPA that I'm sipping on here at Manhattan Brewing Company. I have a tough time looking at all that and just chalking it up and saying, eh, he's not going to be really good. Like, I, I, I just, I understand why the haters might be doing it, but I don't see how anyone could objectively look at it and just mail it in and say, oh, he's not going to be able to put K-State in a position where they might contend for Arlington. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think uh, when, when you look at Adrian Martinez, he became such a lightning rod for Nebraska fans. And I think it's like any fan base, you're going to blame uh, somebody. And he was a highly touted quarterback when he went there. He started as a freshman. He played all four years. They didn't make a bowl in any of those in those seasons. So I can see, you know, logically why the fans would pick him as the scapegoat. But again, it's like we talked about earlier. There's so many factors involved. Um, he's clearly a talent. Um, he has said multiple times that he needs to improve on the turnovers and, and the mistakes he made. But he's still a playmaker. And I think if you, if you, you I mean, you're pairing him with the best running back in the Big 12. In the nation. And one of the best in the nation. And a solid core of receivers, two preseason Big 12 all-league offensive linemen. Uh, so you've got some good pieces around him that I really don't think he had in Lincoln. And a system that I think is going to be built around him, not force him to go make plays all the time, but trust his teammates. And I think he's going to thrive in it. I think he could be really, really good for K-State. I didn't have this on the outline, which, again, is one of my toxic podcasting traits. <laughs> I, I actually, and being a guest on a lot of podcasts, I, I want to, like, pat myself on the back and say, hey, I at least give outlines. But my toxic trait is I sometimes ask stuff that isn't on the outline. So I'm going to ask you this, and you can tell me to fuck off if you want. Part of my <laughs> French out here in public. Um, but what sort of personnel grouping do you want to see? I don't want to hear a prediction but what do you want to see because I think in the Messingham era again it was a three season era I feel like every year and I could be wrong you kind of saw some different stuff where uh, you kind of hung your hat on you know I, I think in some years he got in multiple running back stuff we saw multiple tight ends a couple of those years I feel like the first year it was tough for me to really figure out what was going on because there's so much motion and I'm easily distracted because I'm not a high football IQ guy like yourself so I have no idea what the personnel looked like that first year when they're running all over the field but what do you want to see Colin Klein do personnel-wise? Not a prediction, but if, if Colin walked in here and told me to go hang out in the bathroom so he could pick your brain for a little bit, what would you tell him to do with personnel groupings? Well, I, I, I like to see uh, I like to see a H back or a tight end, especially with the guys we have. Even you know we had Bradley Moore, we had Bay Bay last year. 
I think we're going to be fine there this year, even though we didn't bring in a transfer. Um, I like mixing between two to three receivers. I like a single back. I like that in Messingham's system, guys could line up multiple places. So we would see tight ends split out, especially when we went empty. We could see a tight end split out. We could see a running back split out. And empty, I don't think we ever had a time under Messingham where we had more than three receivers on the field, even though we had five receivers in a formation. So, so that is something I think makes it tough because uh, so many defensive coordinators are watching the huddle, who comes in, who comes out, and they're making adjustments based on if they see three receivers, four receivers, or five receivers, or whatever, in the huddle or in a formation. K-State made that impossible to do because they always had a tight end and back on the field. I think Klein will keep that. I think he'll use a little different. Uh, we saw Ben Sinnott, for instance, split out early, I think the first or second possession in the bowl game. So I rewatched this. I want to give a shout out to the Aggieville Alley yeah, Cats. I, I, I don't know if that. it was Connor yeah. or Ace, but one of them brought that up and I went back and watched it and I was keying in on wherever Senate was. Yep. And again, I'm not a football big brain, but from my, you know, little, you know, I try to watch things intelligently view, I saw Ben Senate line up as the fullback, as a tight end, a wide receiver, and kind of that offset H back. Yep. And again, I'm a big Jacksonine guy, Seawolf. I know I get cyberbullied more than anything I've ever done in my life, <laughs> which is funny because I've been super online since I'm 16. And I, hey, I made you a Seawolf logo too with the with yeah. with the actual submarine. Yeah, and, and, and it's it's awesome. Uh, again, I uh, and I've done some stuff that I, I think I deserve to be so cyberbully, but trying trying really hard, and I kind of gave it up. But I'm glad. I'll still use it, and I think some of the, the diehards still use it, but I don't think I've ever been cyberbullied more in my life than the use of the Seawolf uh, nickname. But, but to my point, Ben Sennett is exactly the type of football player that I love because, again, you can see him do that. He's athletic enough where, okay, is he going to beat you on a fly route? No, but he's a good enough athlete that you can split him out wide. And it's like, okay, you at least have to acknowledge he's out there. And he's able to do the tight end. He's a, he, and technically, he's listed as his tight end now. Yeah. He's he, he's great in that offset H-back where, you know, Oklahoma State has made it fa famous. I think they call it yeah. their cowboy back. They do. So you have all that, and he can play fullback. Um, I loved seeing that. And, again, that was the only thing we have to go off of with Colin Klein when it comes to – personnel and formation stuff and I think that's why K-State fans are so excited everything we saw in that bowl game because it was creative there was a lot of stuff so I'm sorry for cutting you off there again no, my good. other po podcast toxic trait <laughs> uh, but it, it is exciting and I think you have some of those pieces uh, of guys who are so flexible that you can do that where you can have a fullback a running back and some wide receivers and you truly can go five wide or a tra traditional you know madden 2002 pro formation as well and i think that's maybe what the most exciting thing about this skill position um you know grouping of talent on this team is yeah i, I would agree and that's i mean I, that was one of the things i liked most about the messicam system is the way he incorporated the h-back tight end spot the running back spot and the receiver spot and mix different guys into different spots. And, uh, you know, it's not super unlike, I think Snyder's system was similar in that regard. Um, so I, and, and Klein playing for Snyder, I think we're gonna see some of that with probably a little bit less 
quarterback power, power game. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how that factors in. But again, I, and you mentioned Ben Sennett. I think he's going to be a star. Um, we'll, we'll talk about more of those things later. But I really like what he can be for this team. And I think he could be the next up Riley Moore, Amon Bebe type player as far as how tall making is he? plays. I'd have to look. I yeah. can't remember his. Don't, don't worry about it. Like, I, I didn't know if you had that pulled up. But um, it, it, it is fun to see that guy. And I want to give credit to Derek Young of K-State Online. Again, I, I think I mentioned them in almost every show. Um, I, I'd also say before football season, they typically run a great promotion. So I know most of the boneheads are subscribed to K-State Online. And maybe he's going to get mad at me for saying this. Uh, for telling anyone to maybe just hold off a few weeks before subscribing. <laughs> Again, that's not how you run a business. Um, I understand that. But they almost always, I think every year since K-State Online has been a thing, right before football season, there is usually a subscription special. So maybe hold off a few weeks. Again, he might get mad at me for saying that. Let's not tell Derek Young that. Uh, <laughs> Sent at 6'4", 250, okay, by the way. Okay, perfect. See, I, I filibustered enough for you to find that out. He's tall enough that he can be, like, a true tight end. Yep. And, again, but, but to my whole point, as I was bringing up Derek Young, um, he has been on the Ben Senate is an NFL player yep. since the jump. Again, I, I think some folks, and I kind of play into it a little bit, kind of pin me against Ben Senate because I'm such a big Jackson Ean fan. That could not be further from the case. Like, I'll, I'll play into the jokes and all that. Like, you know, versus KU when Ben Senate got that rushing touchdown, I was standing next to you and I was like, oh, come on. They couldn't <laughs> give that to J That kid legitimately can play just about anywhere on the offensive uh, formation. And that is going to be amazing. So, again, maybe maybe we'll talk about him a little bit later. Let's uh, get back on to the outline as I, you know, as we talk randomly for about 15 minutes in a brewery. I, I think that is the most on-brand thing for the history of Bosco's boys. But what sort of numbers and benchmarks are you looking for the offense to hit this season to or early in the season to kind of give you confidence that K-State could be a player in the hashtag chase for Arlington? Yeah, good, good question. I've got, a, I've got a bunch that I wrote down here. Um, first thing I always look at with offense is points per drive, which is factors in how many times you get the ball per game and how many points you score. Um, the Big 12 average last year was about 2.5. National average is pretty similar, 2.5, 2.6. K-State finished right under 2.7 last year. So uh, if you look at the early games, you want to be over three against South Dakota. You want to be over three against Tulane, who I think has got a pretty poor defense. Um, Missouri, you're wanting to be at least 2.7, 2.8. I mean, they suck too. Yeah, and and but they're still SEC talent. That's and, true. And That's true. They are still of SEC. all the bizarreness of Drinkowitz and how bad he is at a lot of things. He is a good recruiter, so I'll give him that credit. Um, so. I'm looking at we want to be at 2.7, 2.8 or better halfway through the season if, if we're on an offense that wants to be in the upper half uh, of the league. We want to approach 3.0 points per drive if we want to be in the top one or two in the league. So so that's the biggest benchmark I look at. Uh, success rate is, is important. Again, the average in, in the Big 12 is about 44, 45%. Last year we finished at 47.6%, which is not too bad. So. If we can have a success rate of, of 47, 48%, I think we're in pretty good shape. 
Um, yards per play, uh, last year we were just over six. Uh, the Big 12 average was just under six. So six is pretty good. You're, you're telling yourself that you're an explosive offensive, you're 6.57 per play. So that's another one. Um, this is a big one for me, touchdown rate, which is how many TDs you, you score per drives you have. Um, last year, the Big 12 average was just under 31%, and K-State was right at 31%. That's something I'd like to see more, uh, 33 34%, and it would show a sign that we're finishing more drives with touchdowns and, and not field goals. Yeah, so this might be, again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. This might be, again, my uh, memory getting the best of me and kind of my nostalgia getting the best of me but that is something that I thought in 2011 and 2012 under Colin Klein K-State was great at that kind of became my love and kind of my calling card because while I think K-State is around average or maybe even slightly above average when it comes to red zone touchdown rate which is something I've harped on the entire time we've had this podcast which honestly I don't think we've been below average the entire time but it's something I've always harped on you know I, I'm almost thinking all right we're in the red zone we need to score points oh you get in the green zone it has to be a touchdown which again no one's ever going to be a hundred percent so I'm always you know up in up in my feelings anytime we don't get it but I felt like when Colin Klein was there and, and you know when you have Colin Klein when you have you know uh you know Powell back there with you when you have Chris Harper uh you know you know uh, Travis Tannehill, you have some of these athletes, Tyler Lockett, that once you're in that money zone, you're going to convert more than you do. But that is something that I always kind of remembered, you know, as a student. 2011, 2012, you're like, oh, you're inside the 20. Oh, you know, you're moving the ball. Just give it, do, do quarterback power five times and Klein's going to get it in. So uh, that is something that I'm hoping we get to. And like you said, kind of increase that touchdown rate. Yeah, yeah. Just points per drive wise, 2012 was 3.21 points per drive, which was number six in the country. So Whew. that was an elite offense. I'm, we actually I'm, had a better offense than defense that year. I'm so. glad I wasn't just making that no, up in my head. No, you did not make that up. That and, was absolutely and again, correct. I, I, I don't, I don't think Adrian Martinez is Colin Klein because I think they have a different skill set. And and again, Colin Klein and. I think probably some folks might not like this, and I know that this is like kind of something that folks use against him, and, and I'm not meaning this in a derogatory term, but he was like a fullback playing quarterback. Yeah. He made some good throws. I'm not, I'm not, honestly, I think he threw the ball better than Tim Tebow. I think if Tim Tebow didn't flame out in the NFL, like right before Colin Klein was getting up there, I think he would have actually gotten a real shot to play pro football. Yeah. Um, so I think he hit the timing-wise of Tebow flaming out uh, hurt Colin Klein's prospects of getting a true shot in the NFL. I think he went to camp with Houston. I don't think he true. I don't think anyone gave him a real shot. But that is kind of like the mentality, and that's not who Adrian Martinez is. Like he's going to juke past you. He's going to run past you. Colin Klein, yeah. he was trucking defensive ends, and I feel bad for any cornerback who ever tried to go up against him. So I'm not expecting that out of Adrian Martinez, but I am hoping to kind of see those, you know, touchdowns per drive, points per drive, and capitalizing when you get those shots go up. Yeah, and you make a good point about Martinez in where, where I'll be curious to how he's used because he is not the power quarterback type player that Colin Klein was or even that Will Howard is, who who is a pretty good runner. For all the flack he gets, and some of that deservedly so, 
Will Howard is a pretty good runner for his size and speed. And uh, Skylar Thompson was more, I wouldn't say shifty, but kind of a crafty runner. So he was solid. But I don't think we've seen an Adrian Martinez type at K-State for a long time. Probably going back to uh, Kirch's guy, Daniel Sams, as far as a guy that can run and has a skill set. I might not be the vice president of the Daniel Sams fan club, but I'm at least in the cabinet. I'm the secretary <laughs> of transportation. I think John Kurtz 100% is a president. He is the president. And I'll give a shout out to our friends over at KC Sports Network. John Kurtz running the show over there with Cole Manbeck, who I'm hoping to get on this week, and Derek Young. So shout out to those guys again. Uh, don't depend on... Uh, national sports talk college football podcast or the Kansas City sports talk for your K-State talk needs check out KCSN the K-State sports uh, I think Kurtz is going to have Aaron Lockett on again check out my friends the Aggieville Alley Cats Shake and Blake they're they're just two students here who are doing a show for uh, student radio they're up and running I'm sure the short side option is going to be going soon uh, Go Powercat has a K-State podcast. Again, so much good K-State content out there. Don't depend on 810, 610 national stuff. Stay at home when you need your K-State sports content fixed. All right, um, did you have any other benchmarks, uh, or do you want to – or should I ask the same question for defense? Because I do um, want to hear them all. I'm, I'm like, going to listen back to this and write it all down. Just, just a couple more that I had. Um, you want your turnover rate to be under 10%, so 10% of your – 10% or less of your drives in an interception or a fumble. Um, last year we were at 8.4%. That's been kind of the hallmark of of Kleiman's system is reducing turnovers. The only time it was really a problem was uh, 2020 with Will Howard at quarterback, which is true freshman kid that didn't have a fall uh, or didn't have a spring. That's, that's kind of makes sense. Um, so keeping that under 10% is big. Um, punt rate under one-third. Last year's ours was uh, 34 to 35%, which is a little too high. Um, it, well, actually, the average was 34%. Ours was 36%, which is too high. We, had, way we too punted high. it way too much. The punts are way are too damn high. We need, to, we need to get that down. And then the other thing that kind of factors into that is the havoc rate you allow, which includes your tackles for loss against you, sacks against you, passes broken up against you, and turnovers against you. Uh, last year, our, our rate was 16.7%. The Big 12 average was 16.5%. So you want to get that down 15, 16%. Um, and that, that does not include garbage time when, when the game's out of reach. So um, those are, those are the, all the offensive ones that, that I had to look at. And uh, those are kind of the things I'm going to watch next year as, as I look. I don't look at yards per game. Um, a lot of those things are pretty meaningless to me. It's these r drive rate stats and per play stats and per drive stats that to me are where it's at when you really want to look at your team. Yes, and I'm going to do a bet. I think last year I made a real effort to try to bring that into the podcast. I'm going to kind of leverage our friendship to maybe come <laughs> come to you a couple times this season be like, all right, wh wh where are we doing this? And I I'm going to challenge the boneheads to try to watch college football a little bit more intelligently. Ultimately, I want people to do what brings them more yeah. uh, joy from the game. But I, I will say, once I started looking at it through this lens, it kind of increased my enjoyment. So let's flip to the defensive side of the ball. Again, similar question. For the, through the first three, four games, what sort of benchmarks are you looking to hit for you to be sitting there, you know, mm -hmm. after a long day of teaching the kids, 
you and your beautiful wife back at home just talking you look to her and say hey the hunt for arlington's on so what are those benchmarks yeah that that will be interesting because k-state did finish fourth last year in the big 12 behind three really good defenses uh oklahoma state was elite baylor was elite iowa state was really good and k-state was fourth behind those three schools as far as the metrics i look at um first just touch on some of the things we did well last year we had one of the better run defenses in the Big 12, uh, which we need to keep. Uh, I, I know I said I don't use per game, but it's easily readable. We were number 31 nationally in yards per game, number 15 in rushing success rate allowed, so uh, that's a good number, and then number 33 in rushing yards per carry. So we're in the upper quarter, fifth of the country in rushing defense. Um, we were number two in touchdown rate allowed, 22.5%, which is really good, so we didn't allow a lot of touchdowns. Teams did settle for field goals a lot, but that was a, was a good number. Another one I look at is yardage rate, which is you take the number of yards you have to go. So if you get the ball at the 20, you have 80 yards to go. What percentage of yards do you gain on that drive? K-State was number three in allowing only 48.4% of the yardage available to opposing offenses, which is, which is another good number. So those were kind of our strengths. Defensively, uh, the go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, so I, I just want to ask this, um, and you you may ha not have it right in front of you, but that was uh, Klanderman's second year as the defensive coordinator and a switch in, uh, you know, concepts. Gun to your head, and what your what does your gut tell you about this? Is his third year as the DC and second year under that? Because again, my little pea brain says, okay, we had those type of numbers. I'm going to be looking for us to not only kind of match those numbers, but kind of get a little bit better when you're looking at those rates where we rank in the nation. Is that being a little bit too simple-minded? Because, hey, you do have to take into account, you know, some of the losses that you had at safety. Uh, you know, Daniel Green is losing his uh, running mate next to him. Uh, can K-State fans kind of hope, and would you expect them to improve on some of those, uh, you know, pluses in year two and under the system in year three of, of uh, Klanderman as the D.C.? I do because I think, number one, there's more comfort with the odd man front, which we switched to last year and was successful with. Um, you get Khalid Duke back, which is, which is a, you know, diversifies. I think you brought in enough talent at safety. You also look at we're the only Big 12 team that has a first team all, or preseason all Big 12 player at all three levels. We have a lineman, we have a linebacker, we have a secondary guy all as preseason all big 12 players so i look at all those things together and i think this is a team that should get better on defense you also look at oklahoma state which traditionally under gundy hasn't been a great defense but three years ago they were top 30 in the country two years ago they were top 20 last year they were top 10 top five probably so there was a progression there with kind of a similar switch to a defense in a in a more focused approach to defense so I think it's readily available that this team can improve and will improve defensively and become one of the best two or three units in the league instead of one of the best four or five units in the league. Yes, no, and I have high hopes because I think, at least speaking for myself, I was a little disappointed in year one of Klanderman's defense. Again, COVID year, uh, 
not a lot of practice time, lots of guys out. And we made that jump last year with that odd front. I, I'll be honest, I, I probably am setting myself up to be maybe a little tough on Klanderman because I have such high hopes. So I just wanted to kind of, you know, get in front of my own personal hype for the defense and hear someone of yourself and say, yeah, I think it's fair to expect a little more. So I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off. Let's no, hear some of no, those other can, benchmarks. No, I want to get into what we need to improve. Yes. Um, the pass defense is really where it's at, where they've got to get better. Um, they're number only number 83 in pass efficiency defense last year nationally, and they were number 98 in passing success rate allowed. So that's in the bottom third, bottom fifth of the country. Um, they're only number nine in the Big 12 and turnover rate force at 7.9%. So forcing more turnovers is something you want to try to do. Although, you know, you hear a guy like Bill Connolly and he'll talk about turnover luck and there's some factors in forcing turnovers that you don't always have control over because footballs bounce funny ways sometimes. Um, they're also number 78 in uh, the third down conversion rate they allowed last year. So and that drove fans nuts. Those are, those are some of the big ones I notice. Um, as far as the benchmarks go, I'll kind of go through the same ones that I talked about with the offense. Uh, points per drive, you want to be 2.2 uh, or less to be an elite defense. Last year, K-State was actually right at 2.2 uh, in Big 12 play, so that's, that's not bad. The Big 12 average is 2.56, so um, we were pretty good in that department. Your success rate allowed, you want to be under 40% to be elite. The Big 12 average was about 43%. Last year, K-State was between 40 and 41%. So they were pretty good in that area. Yards per play allowed, uh, Big 12 average was 5.97, which is right at six. K-State was at 5.2 last year, which is pretty good. So if you can maintain that, you're probably not giving up a lot of explosive plays. Like I said, 2D, TD rate, Touchdown rate was 22.5%. You want that to be under a quarter, 25%. The Big 12 average was just over 31% last year. So, again, K-State was good in that regard. Turnover rate, you want to be 12% or better to be elite. Like I said, we were only at 8% last year. Big 12 average was just under 11%. So that's you would like to see improve. <clears throat> and, again, some of that's luck. Punt rate, you want to be 35% or more. Um, Big 12 average was 34%. K-State was under 33% last year, so force a few more punts. And then finally, havoc rate. Havoc plays are tackles for loss, breaking up passes, interceptions, and forced fumbles. And I like that they use forced fumbles and not fumble recoveries because, again, fumble recovery is luck. Forced fumble means you, you did something to, to knock the ball out. Last year, uh, K-State was at 18%, which is pretty good. Not elite, but pretty good. The Big 12 average was 17%. So if you can get that, if you could approach 20%, you're an elite defense and have a great. So those are the benchmarks I'm going to look for next year on defense. Yeah, but before I, we move into the prediction segment, I want to ask you this because I think the fan sentiment, and I think it's a fair fan sentiment, is we have two very good boundary corners. And, again, we had yeah. one of the best defensive ends in the nation in Felix Anudike Uzama. Why was our pass, you know, defense so poor then? Because I would think having good pass rush or at least one elite defensive end in two corners who do have the potential to be day two, day three draft picks doesn't really jive with that. So is there anything you can kind of point to and say, all right, maybe it was this, maybe it was that, and is that something we can expect with largely the same boundary guys uh, to uh, kind of make up for that? Well, I, I think part of that is as the year went on, um, 
we had a lot. We had Felix, who made tons of plays, but you didn't have a lot of the complimentary pass rush guys around him. I mean, he had 11 sacks last year. Nobody else on the team had more than four. Which um, was Nate Matlack, Nate Matlack and very limited amount of yeah. playing time. Eli Huggins had three. Daniel Green had three. So um, you've got to get another guy that's a dynamic pass rusher. I think Matlack can be in that category, and I think Khalid Duke will be in that category when he when he's back. So, so that's one thing. Um, second thing is we played – some pretty good pass offenses too, and the Big 12 has some some offenses that are pretty good, and uh, I think that factored in, uh, especially as the year went on. We had some injuries on defense that didn't help as well. So, you know, and and I think I've I've read in every preview, everybody says this about K State is our top 22 can stack up with anybody in the Big 12. What happens if K-State gets an injury or two, and how do they recover from that? And I think that is the factor with us in the way we recruit is we're not going to be able to have a guy at most positions that can just step in as the number two guy or number three guy and replace the level of play that we want. And I think that happened a little bit on defense too. Yeah, I think if Chris Kleiman's ever going to be able to take us from, you know, seven to eight well actually it's in in regular seasons in non-coven seasons from eight wins consistently to now we all hope is a shot at arlington to competing more regularly like a year in year out type thing i think it's going to be increasing that level of talent from player 23 to 44 versus one through 22 because i agree with you if you if you're looking purely at one through 22 I, I, I think this even surpasses, you know, 2016. This surpasses 2014, where yeah. those teams may prove out to have a little bit more is, hey, at a couple key spots, they might have had, you know, number 23 through 30. Um, so, so we'll have to see what happens. Uh, now is the time that I think uh, everyone loves. It is prediction time. Before we do, again, throughout this entire time we've recorded, I've completely sucked down the entire Condor <laughs> double IPA because it tastes that good. We're here at Manhattan Brewing Company. Again, um, there, there's some of you who miss the old school uh, original Bosco's Boys background noise. Well, this is the one for you. If, you, if you're someone who's like, Scott, I'm, I miss the Zooms. I'm, I'm, well, okay, you always had to deal with Chauncey maybe barking, but I'm telling you this. I want to record here as much as I can. If I lived in Manhattan, I'd be recording every episode here because the beer is legitimately that good. It stands up against any brewery I've ever been to, and it is a super fun space. And again, owned by folks who have roots right here in Manhattan, including some roots on the K-State football program. So let's get into it. Oh, and also we'll be going live 7 p.m. Wednesday on ColorCast. Uh, Jimmy, I, I don't want to throw you under the boat, but before I came here, my dad was like, I miss Jimmy being on the color cast, like all the live shows during the summer, because he knows you, you can't make it most of the time it's in the fall. In the summer. I, I know. It's, it's tough in the summer, too. Yeah, I, well, I mean, you're a busy man this summer, so I, <laughs> I just wanted to kind of rib you a little bit right That's here fair. in front That's of the fair. thousands of listeners, uh, because my dad <laughs> missed hearing you. So hopefully this episode that is going to be one of the longest ones of Blitz Month, because you get more questions than anyone yeah. else. And I also have more follow-ups because every time I talk to you, I feel like I get smarter. So we're probably going to have to get you on uh, in season on occasion. I know you're a busy man, but that's going to be the aim. So, again, 
come come to Manhattan Brewing every time you're in Manhattan. Again, check out their social media pages. They have a lot of events going on. And again, they're rocking with me all week long for every single episode. And we're going to be doing stuff with them throughout the season and a bunch next offseason as well. So come in, get their beer. And hey, after K-State wins a game, stop in, get a couple four-packs, take them back to Kansas City, take them back to Wichita. Come here when you're doing your beer exchanges. I'm doing another Bonehead Beer Exchange. I'm going to send out some beers from right here at Manhattan Brewing Company. Come in, check them out. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. All right, prediction time. And again, this is early, but we are officially in week two of Blitz Month, so I am going to have to hold you to all of these, Jimmy. Okay. I know it's early, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to hold you to them. The first one, no restrictions. First time we've ever done this, but who is going to be the offensive MVP this year? I mean, it, it's fun to think outside the box and come up with someone else, but it's Deuce Vaughn. Like, I, th- I think Adrian Martinez will be good, but Deuce Vaughn is the key to the offense. And frankly, if he's not the offensive MVP, it probably is not good for Kansas State this year, in my opinion. You know, he had 1,800 years, uh, 1,800 yards last year, 6.6 yards per carry. 22 touchdowns uh, was over 40 percent of our total offense as far as yards from scrimmage consensus all-american consensus all-american so that guy's got to be your offensive mvp if you want to be good Uh, um, and you got to find creative ways to get him the ball and uh, be effective and we got to trust colin klein to do that so deuce vaughn is the guy i think and and martinez has got to be number two i think but uh, those two uh, got to lead the offense, but Deuce Vaughn's got to be the best player. All right, so you perfectly led into it because Adrian Martinez, he's gotten one vote for MVP, and I think everyone has said he's number two. Who could be the third horseman? Who could be the third head of that monster on offense if you are looking into this season being successful? Well, my, my hope is that it's Malik Knowles because he's got the tools, he's got the size. Uh, we saw him featured a little bit more in the bowl game, which I think is encouraging. Uh, we saw him catch a touchdown pass from the slot. Um, so hopefully uh, Colin Klein's finding creative ways to get him the ball. I mean, he did have 441 yards receiving last year, averaged 15.2 yards per, per uh, catch, uh, four touchdowns, second on the team in total, total uh, yards from scrimmage, 547. So he's the number two guy basically besides the quarterback last year. So you would think – Maybe this is the year he breaks through. I think, I think, honestly, I think Colin Klein become, becoming the office coordinator is probably the only reason he's still here, and I think we're going to see that pay off. Yeah, and again, he actually played in, I think, almost every game last year. He might have missed one. He played through some injuries. Yep. He played banged he up. Um, so if you could have a year where he – never gets below 80% health-wise, I think that also would be pretty massive. But again, football is a violent game, so I don't think you can ever you know, plan on that or even try to pencil that in. Let's flip to the defensive side of the ball. Again, you have the defensive preseason player of the year, but I think you could make an argument for maybe another guy or two behind him. So I'm not putting any restrictions on this one either. Who is going to be your defensive MVP? Yeah, I, I go back and forth, but <clears throat> I went with Daniel Green from the linebacker spot just because I think he's going to be in line to make plays. He's experienced. Um, he was, you know, right behind Felix last year as far as I, what I would say is defensive player of the year. Honorable mention pick, 
preseason all big 12 led the team in tackles with 89 actually led the team in tackles for loss with 16 over felix and uh, he can do some things and he missed like at least a full yeah. game between different well probably more than that a full suspension so probably close to a game and a half with so uh, targeting suspension I, I think he's in line and in and prone to be a, a big time playmaker of course felix would be two one a one one b but i'm gonna go with daniel green just because i think he's gonna break through all right so who would be your dark horse for that one for okay, that award so i know that there could be flack for this one because I did listen to all last week, and uh, I agree with my guy Mitch, and and I he made good point. He made good points. I mean, this guy did play a lot, especially at the end of the year. But I think Nate Matlack. I think even that's fine did, for dark horse. Even I think though that's he did fine start for dark horse late in the year, I think he could be a guy that makes a jump. Uh, last year he had six tackles for loss and four sacks. And I could see him doubling both of those numbers. And that's that's where I think he could make – I mean, we've talked about this kid ever since he's been here. I think he's in line to make that big-time breakthrough from the defensive end spot and really be uh, an all-Big 12-type player, Maybe, even if it's honorable mention, an all-Big 12 player next year. Yeah, so let's get into breakout players. Let's get to offense first. Again, it doesn't have to be a young guy. I think I'm going to drop that forever yeah. from Blitz Month because, again – transfer portal there's so much movement i think it's tough to pigeonhole this every year into just freshman sophomore i evolve i learn so just who who do you have as either we could we could say newcomer or just breakthrough just a guy who hasn't made an impact for k-state on offense yet except for adrian martinez that's like the only one like that's the only newcomer i'd say no you don't get to answer adrian martinez for this one but any other newcomer any other like underclassmen that they're fair game yeah, I mentioned him earlier. I think it's going to be Ben Sennett just because of the diversity that they talk about his skill level. They talk about him being an NFL-type player. Um, he only had two catches last year. He had a couple carries. We saw the uh, little uh, shovel pass in the bowl game. So he's got potential. I think he's a guy that can break out and be that 15, maybe even 20 reception guy from the tight end, H-back, fullback spot, um, three or 400 yards receiving and be a real dynamic playmaker and a weapon in this offense. And I, I expect him to break out. I love that. So you say three to 400 yards receiving, you know, does he get to 100 yards rushing as well out of fullback? Or good. Do, do, you, do you see him being truly more, because he's labeled as a tight end, do you see him more out of the backfield than I, in backfield? I see, him, I see him more H-back tight end split out. I see Jack's probably playing the fullback more role this year. Um, and, and being that guy, and, and Jax can slide over. He, he, he got reps at H-back spot once in a while uh, in different, especially heavy formations, but um, I think Senate is going to be more of that H-back role. I want to see a kind of like, not like pure like rugby scrum formation from the Colin Klein era. I want to see like a, uh, you know, a little bit different. Like, you know how we had the yep. three-back, you know, formations? I want to see that in the goal line, but with Jax, with uh, Ben Sennett and then like either Tony Fries, <laughs> DJ Giddens, or maybe even like Connor Fox or like one of those other like young fullbacks um, back there. And kind of, you know, just the like, you know, rugby scrum formation 2.0 because uh, that, that was always fun. Again, you know, I think we, you know, took a year or two off of Jesse Ertz's life 
doing that, you know, in the 20, you know, 14 and 2016 se- or 2016 season. But that was always fun. It's always fun when that picture from the bowl game versus Texas A&M, you know, goes viral on Twitter saying, you know, 22 dudes within two yards of the ball. That's always fun. I want to see yep. that come back. Let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. Who is going to be your breakout guy on defense? Yeah, my, my picks here is a little different because I think – if you've got a guy that's talented enough to play for two Power Five programs already, and just finishing his transition to defense, Sean Robinson is a guy that I think can be a dynamic playmaker from one of those safety spots in this defense. I mean, you're talking about a guy that was the Gatorade Texas Player of the Year out of high school, was the number two dual threat quarterback recruit in Texas, the number seven in the country. Um, Played a little bit at TCU, got a cup of coffee, went to Missouri, transitioned to defense. And I think we brought him in for a reason. You get a guy that that's that's that that is that talented, and if he figures out how to play defense, especially in this scheme, in the way we use safeties, Sean Robinson is a guy that I think a lot of people have gone and gone under the radar. They like to look at uh, some of the other guys that we brought in, Kobe Savage, Josh Haynes, Cheatham. I think they're all nice players. But Sean Robinson is a legit power five talent, and it's just a matter of if he figures out what to do as a safety, he can be a dynamic playmaker, I think, in this in this league. I think he kind of fits that whole adage with the climbing era of I'm going to find an elite level athlete and I'm going to teach him how to play football. Now, he's played a lot of football. He's still yeah. doing the transition and then – how we're I mean, going to use them versus how Missouri used them. It will be a transition. Even, but. even in Missouri, in limited time, he had 31 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, and a pick and a sack. So he didn't do nothing there. I mean, he played. So oh, yeah. he can play. Well, and I, I think before he left, because, again, I, I, I follow some Missouri folks on Twitter. I listen to Sports Talk Radio, which has a bigger Missouri spin than I'd like it to in Kansas yeah. City. That surprised them. And they, they, it wasn't one of those things where it's like, oh, we expected it and we're fine with it. That was a legitimate loss for them. So I'm, I'm pumped to see him. And, and again, we all loved Stubby. And, and he, they're different type of players. But I think you're going to see him kind of play that, you know, hybrid linebacker defensive yep. back role that, you know, Reginald uh, Stubblefield III uh, made his own. So yep. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm glad you mentioned him. I hope we hear his name a couple more times. Let's get into my favorite question of Blitz Week turned Blitz Month. What is the pendulum game of the season for you? I, I think it's Oklahoma just because you start Big 12 play on the road. Um, are you going to prove that Brent Venables, maybe there's a reason he hasn't been a head coach and stuck around as a D.C. for so long? Oklahoma's still got plenty of talent, um, but they lost a lot. But according to the blue chip ratio, that is the yeah. Bible of can you win a national title over on 247, I, I, I think it's chip something. I, I don't know who actually is like the creator of yeah. the blue chip ratio, but they have the top blue chip ratio in the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, they still got talent. They've got the number one quarterback recruit from a couple years ago after he transferred from Ohio State. Um, he's, he's a stud. Uh, let me look up his name. Um, Nick Evers, he's going to be really good. But 
you're still putting a lot of stake in a guy that well, hasn't but, played. But Gabriel, I think, is going to start quarterback. Yeah, Gabriel them, right? might still start. I and mean, he was a top five quarterback in his class. So and, and he I and mean, he has experience with their yeah, OC. He does, and that's that's important. And uh, but but they lost a ton at the running back spot. They lost Marvin Mims, who is maybe the best receiver in the league. So I mean, they lost plenty of stuff as well on on offense, especially. Um, they're rated uh, number one and 17 in the country in offensive returning protection. So I think if you go there, you establish yourself as a Big 12 title contender. If you open the league play by winning at Oklahoma, you set the tone for the rest of the schedule. I mean, I, I think Iowa State's a big one, too, because another road game, uh, an Iowa State program that's kind of rebuilding. You might be one and one when you play them. That's a, that's a key place. But that's more to salvage a good season and win six or seven games. I think if you win at Oklahoma, you're talking about can you win seven or eight games in the league and really be that Arlington team that we want to be. Yes, for sure. And so I'm curious because, you know, it's been a lot of Gabriel talk. If you had to handicap it, I'm surprised you went directly to, uh, you know, the, you know, one of the top quarterback uh, commits. Do you think it is a battle between those two? I haven't. I have not listened to a single OU preview. I know nothing about them. I, I have not. I've read previews, and I think a lot of them just think it might be a battle. I mean, not only was he number one quarterback, he was number three overall, viewers in his class. So, I mean, it's hard to bring in a guy that highly touted. I mean, that's that's the juggle Sarkeesian at. Uh, Oh, we're, we're, we're mixing has. OU and no, Texas. I'm mixing OU and Texas. Hey, no worries. That's like the first time I've ever heard you make a mistake. Uh, no, Evers and Gabriel. Yeah, Evers, Evers. Evers yeah, is top ten. Go. So you're talking about two guys that, you know, you look at what they can do. Um, Gabriel was a bit, you know, made plenty of plays at UCF, threw for 3,500 yards. But it's still at a lower level. But it's level. still lower level. 61 touchdowns is kind of a big deal. So. Yeah, it is. It is. You look at that, but again, I, I look at what they lost. They lost four of their top five receivers. They lost their top two running backs, and uh, that's a big deal to me as well. Perfect. All right, so let's get into the big one. And, and again, I'm sorry. You, you're, you probably get the rawest deal out of everyone, but you're the first one where I'm holding you to this. <laughs> Uh, I like you enough. You're my favorite that I won't like send someone to break your knees if I see you predicting something else. But I am asking you to give me your stone cold lock, not lock, but prediction on K-State's record. I I have us at 10 and 2 in our my picks. I think it could be 9 and 3. Um, I, I see losses to Oklahoma State, Texas, or Baylor. Uh, but I think I think they're going to come. I think we can come through and get ten wins, and be a ten and two team, and put ourselves in position to go to Arlington. Okay, so ten and two, one hundred percent puts you in possession. Even nine and three yeah. gives you a shot at Arlington, based on tiebreakers and how everything goes. Yeah. So now I I first want to hear because you and I had a little mini conversation about this before, but I want to hear who your prediction is in Arlington, and I'll have a follow up based on something you talked about before we hit record. Again, it's it's a it's a good question. I I see three teams really in the running. Oklahoma State, Texas, and I Texas, I'll get flack for that because everybody says that every year, and Kansas State. Those I think are the three best teams in the league and the three teams that will contend. Um, 
I want to say it's going to be us and Oklahoma State. Um, that, that would be my hope is that it's us two battling in Arlington for the Big 12 title. But I think it's going to be between those three teams. I'll, I'll allow that, but I, I'm officially on the record. I, for this one, I'm not going to put it in cement. I'm not going to put it in pen, <laughs> but I'm putting you down in, uh, you know, in pencil, Oklahoma State wearing orange, K-State wearing white in yep. Arlington. Okay, so you and I talked about this, and, and I, I loved your little mini rant because this kind of also flies in the face of my prediction because I, I do my all, like, I've done a couple, you know, tweets trying to manifest K-State in Arlington, and in all of them I have us playing Baylor. You sat down, and before we even hit recorded, I sensed a little bit of feistiness to you. Tell me why I'm wrong and anyone else is wrong being so high on Baylor coming into this season. Yeah, I, I, as I did my own previews, the researched every team, I combed through every roster and look at who's actually on the roster, who's back, who are the impact transfers, who are the impact returners. I, I've done that for every team except – West Virginia and KU so far, and I've started Which, those two. That's bo- like, I, I love Neil Brown. His ass is getting yeah. fired. Yeah, and and by his the ass way, is I, getting by fired. The way, Dy and I are posting those on KSO every couple days for the next few weeks. I was gonna let you plug that, but 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 it is good. I ju- I just read anyway. I, I just read week two versus Missouri. He didn't have us winning by enough. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Shout out to the mystery bonehead who just sent <laughs> anyway, us some beers. So here's my Baylor thing. Here's what they return as far as running the ball. They lose two guys that combined for 2,400 yards rushing last year. Rushing was their strength. They returned tw- 10% of their rushing attempts, 12% of their rushing yards, 14% of their rushing TDs. Now I'll give you, they don't return a lot of their passing, but Shapin took over. Played well in three games, conceded to Bohannon in the court, the bowl game, but he was pretty good, and we saw firsthand in Manhattan I mean that, when he what took was over. It like the fourth and like eight or it was not. ridiculous. It was oh ridiculous, my God. and that that killed me. But here's the other thing: as far as receptions go, they returned 23 percent of their receptions, 21 percent of the receiving yards, and only a third of their touchdown catches. That's a ton to lose on offense, and an offense that was pretty average. Now. Above average, about the same as us. Defensively, they lose some big – I mean, Petrie was the best player in the league. It wasn't close. I wish we had them where we have and, Iowa and State. He was, he was a stud. They return about half their tackles, about half their tackles for loss, less than half of their, their, uh, their interceptions. They lose. First-teamer, first-teamer Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Honorable mention – they lose four of their top six tacklers. They lose some big keys. Now, I know they got big Ika, the defensive lineman, back in the middle, which is key for their defense. But to me, to just say you're going to relate, you replace your best linebacker, your hybrid player, Petrie, who was a stud, uh, JT Woods, uh, a, a secondary guy that was a stud, you lose all those guys on defense, plus all those guys on offense, plus a young quarterback that did well with a bunch of good guys surrounding him. I don't know how you tab him, tab them the best team in the league. And there's no dynamic. Their best transfer they got was Jackson Player, who played at Tulsa. He's a defensive lineman. He's going to be fine. Uh, they get Gavin Holmes back, who's a receiver, but he's had 410 yards in two years at Baylor in his career. Their best running back uh, had 181 yards last year in three games. 
Their next best running back had 15 yards in two games. I mean, you're talking inexperienced dudes replacing very good dudes. Abram Smith, Treston Ebner uh, at the receiver, Tyquan Thornton, R.G. Sneed, Drew Estrada. That's a lot. And I just, I mean, they recruit fine, but they don't recruit like Oklahoma and Texas. No, so they're nowhere near I, the blue I'm, chip this ratio. This is my rant. I just don't see Baylor. I, Baylor and Iowa State, one of those two are going to take a major step back, and probably both are going to take a significant step back to at least the middle league. And I think, you know, here's the other thing. Bill Connolly, you know, plenty of people give him flack. He has Baylor number 40 in the country and behind Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State in his preseason projections. Which, you know what's wild about that? So, his, his numbers just notoriously don't like us. So if he has Baylor behind us. He has I them mean, behind us. And again, shame on me for not doing a little bit of my own research, but <laughs> you're laying that out there, and it's having me, <laughs> you know, rethink everything I said because you know what? Like, I, I'm not going to delete tweets. It's only one time <laughs> in my life I've ever deleted any tweets, and it wasn't even on my personal account. It was on the Bosco's Boys account. I'll let you folks uh, figure <laughs> out what those were. Whispering. It was about Dylan Edwards. Uh, but – it really has me rethinking because I, I've been saying K-State was going to be wearing white versus Baylor, but I just kind of get caught up in the hype. And, again, I'm a Dave Aranda believer. I think but, he's good. I think he's real good. But Because, I, I mean, I think I'm going to have to manifest him to the NFL just like I did Matt Rule. But uh, that, that's eye-opening. And I, 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 it's changed everything. So I yep. want to give you props for teaching me everything. So here's the final one. We always kind of end with a kind of off the wall one, at least the last few years. Yep. Back during the COVID year, I asked everyone how many of the 11 or how many of the 10 scheduled games we were going to get in. Last year is depressing asking about conference affiliation, who will who will be in a conference with. So this one's a little bit different. Who are we going to be in a conference with in 2024 and 2025? Again, so many dynamics. Do OU and Texas see out their uh, contractual obligation? Do we add people? Does KU finally say, fuck it, and join the Big East in basketball and go independent in football? You know, New Mexico, both of them going 2-10 and ten with each other every year. Um, or New Mexico State. Like, yeah, New Mexico State, yeah. they're independent. And, hell, you know, they're recruiting the same guys. Kansas kids choosing True. New Mexico State True. over. And I'll say this. I think Jerry Kill turns around New Mexico State with some guys from Pitt State. I'll tell you this right now. Jerry Kill gets New Mexico State to a 500 record. He'll have a 6-6 six and six season or better before he retires. There's my hot take for the episode. Shout out to Jerry Kill. But who is K-State in a conference with 2024, 2025, or we can make it easy? Does OU – see out their contract do they leave for the sec early and does the big 12 add anyone beyond the newcomers coming next season yes uh good question i'm going with 16 teams in 2024 texas and ou leave early for the sec i think the money comes around we make a deal and we say good riddance go on your way and this is why this is the moment Brett, your mark was hired for, to, to think outside the box, make things happen. He's been working behind the scenes. I mean, we even saw the other day this random Minnesota to the Big 12 Which rumor. I don't necessarily – Crazy. I don't deny that, <laughs> hey, maybe we, like, unofficially ask, like, hey, 
Is there anything we could do? Yeah. I, I don't. I'm not saying it's not true. But there were some people who were running around thinking it's like, oh, it's <laughs> happening. Like everyone, chill yeah, out no. a little bit. No, Minnesota's not coming. But I like. To me, that's a sign that things are going on behind the scenes, and people are leaking stuff, and and your mark is doing his job. So OU, UT are gone. BYU, Central Florida, Houston, and Cincy are here. And then we add our boys from Arizona, Arizona, Arizona State, our old friend from Colorado, and the moronic The Utah fans Utah are going to be so mad. They're going to be so mad. Crazy, but they fit our league. And those four teams come in, and we have the third best conference in the country by far. We're not going to match Big Ten SEC money, but we're going to be third in line and your mark is going to make it happen. So I'll, I'll say this about Utah, and it's a shame that – and I, honestly, I think it's all because of BYU. I, I think yes, I think they're doing is. a fake superiority thing because of BYU. Because I think if you hook them up to a lie detector right now and ask them which league they would rather be in, I think they would say the Big 12 without a doubt. Because here's the thing, and, and I'm going to say this, I, I think you're getting Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State because – a little bit geography. I think it does help the TV. But if you look at those schools, like they're not rabid about their sports teams anymore. I think Arizona State could could be rabid for football if they were good again. Yeah. Arizona basketball atmosphere is fine, but Utah fits with the Big Twelve better than maybe any team we've ever had. Like, like I think they're even more Big Twelve like than West Virginia. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So I'm I'm hoping they kind of get over themselves and join the conference. And also my bloodthirst and desire to dance on the grave of Stuart Mandel. And uh, <laughs> who, who's that new Pac-12 guy that's yes, popped up? Um, There's a bunch of them. Wilms. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> I, I I want the Pac-12 to die only because of those journalists. I do feel bad for. Washington State and Oregon State, by the way. I just want to put that yeah, out there. I do, too. I have no ill will towards those fans. I, I, I feel bad for you guys. Um, I would say the same thing about Cal fans if there were any, but there's <laughs> not. And uh, Stanford people are too busy becoming billionaires to care about sports, so it doesn't matter. I mean, Cal, all I need to know about Cal is Cal basketball hired Mark Fox. And bless his heart, he was at K-State for a time. But he was just asking to be fired from Georgia. And Cal just says, well, we'll take you. I mean, what kind of athletic program does that? Yeah, Cal, Cal's a mess. Um, so I, I do feel bad for Washington, Oregon State. And I, I, I would be fine scheduling them once they're in the Mountain West. But I think it's time to kill off the Pac-12 <laughs> and watch Stuart Mandel cry on his podcast. Um, so that's all we have. All right, so you, you kind of touched on it, um, but plug everything you have going on at K-State Online. Again, I'm not telling people not to subscribe if you're not already there. I'm just saying, because I'm looking out for you, historically there have been some really great deals the week football season starts. Yeah. And I'm just going to leave it at that. But plug yeah. everything you got going on there and then also your Twitter account because, again, you are maybe the number one must-follow during football season in K-State football, at least from my point of view. Yeah, good. Thank you. I uh, appreciate that. Um, as far as right now, uh, Derek Young and I from K-State Online are going through every game, doing a preseason breakdown. Um, I'm going to give you who their coach is, what they did last year, what were their strengths? What were their weaknesses? How are they projected in 2022? I try to get you five to seven players to watch on offense and defense. Uh, I give you one or two key additions for each team. 
I give you what K-State needs to do to win, and I give you my prediction for every team. I've done that for uh, – going to be doing that for every team. We've done South Dakota, Missouri already. Uh, DYs put those out there. We'll be doing more every every couple days the next couple weeks leading up to the season. Um, during the season, game day-wise, I will be breaking down advanced stats live during the game. I usually post first quarter, halftime, third quarter – uh, post-game stats uh, with some charts per play, per drive, success rates, all that kind of stuff, havoc. Um, I'll do Big 12 breakdowns all season long on Twitter and on KSO as far as those kind of drive weight, drive rate per play, per drive stats um, for football. Um, I'll be jumping on hopefully with Scott once in a while. I'll give him some feedback. 100%. On information um, for for some of those stats to watch and and the, the key is you just have to keep following those stats to get used to them because we're used to per per game stats we're used to some of those things um just keep keep learning you don't have to learn it all if i was going to pick i'd say do points per drive find points per drive uh, my guy brian freema has his own site bcftoys.com and it's all free he's been doing it for years um he doesn't charge you he didn't sell out like bill Connolly, the espn and uh, I would go to bcftoys.com, um, just a plug for him. Um, I also will do my gift packages every game. I go through, I rewatch the offense. I don't do defense because I'm a more of an offensive guy. I watch every play, I chart every play, and I make gifts of, I really try to pare it down to 20 or 25, but I usually end up with like 50 every game. That's like the best piece of like, <laughs> I love Derek Young. Again, this is not, no shade at them, but it is my favorite piece of like post-game content uh, on the internet. Yeah. Doesn't matter the provider. Your gift breakdown, and you usually throw out one or two on Twitter as yeah, well. Yeah, I usually so. I usually do a couple on Twitter during the week, and by on KSO I usually try to get those out by Wednesday or Thursday every week and break down the entire offense performance. And I'm looking forward to it. Just. You know, I, I, I wasn't a mess hater like we talked about earlier, but I, I am looking forward to something new. I do look forward to, to new things, and breaking down our new offense is going to be a lot of fun, just like I'm looking forward to breaking down Coach Ting and the, and the basketball stuff we're going to do next year as well. Well, Jimmy, that is all we have. Again, this goes longer than most of our Blitz Month stuff, but, again, you are the best in the biz when it comes to it. You've changed the way I watch college football especially i'm kind of getting there with basketball but you've changed the way i watch football for the best um everyone follow i it's at case you underscore fan on twitter i don't know if you said it if anyone's listening to this and they don't know that then they're stupid and you're not my friend anymore <laughs> uh but we love you guys again stay tuned hoping again i always kind of like cringe a little bit when I say this before anything's recorded hoping to get Coleman back and then one more person from the Rolodex this week um, I don't know exactly what you guys are going to hear from me uh, on Monday because again that hasn't recorded I'm holding out hope we get I, I'm going to talk a lot about a high school basketball commit um, if you're a member of KSO you know who it is uh, so I'm hoping I can get to talk about that and kind of this uh, continued uh, my dummy uh, you know take on Jerome Tang's basketball recruiting and then just some more uh, kind of niche stuff when it comes to K-State football and K-State Twitter. So that's all we have. Again, remember that we have the live show if you're listening to this on release day tomorrow at 7 p.m. And again, 
check out Manhattan Brewing Company. Had fun actually recording in a brewery again with my good friend Jimmy. It's been too long. You guys are going to hear him on football season, and who knows, I might, depending on kickoff of Farmageddon, I might have to beg him and also friend of the show, Drew Galloway, maybe to do the first ever episode of Bosco's Boys that doesn't feature me or Grant Copeland. Uh, because if I can't watch the game, I don't know if I'm going to be able to record an episode. So I might have to I might have to tempt these guys with whiskey, uh, beer, and women. Well, actually, is, he, he, he has a girlfriend now, and you're happily married, so I'll keep the women is, for myself. Is there anything worse than fall weddings? Nothing. No, it, it sucks. <laughs> but here's the thing, and again, this is if you guys want to hear stuff, feel free to check out. You don't have to listen to Ric Flair and the uh, erectile dysfunction uh, <laughs> ad at the end of this. You had to listen to it at the beginning. Um, I actually just became aware of it. I stopped listening back. I used to listen to every episode I did and critique myself. That's how I got better, or at least I thought I got better. Uh, but I stopped doing that once we started putting out so many episodes. So I had no idea what the uh, beginning and ending ad that was being input. Ric Flair's great. Yeah, so my dad told me. And, like, my mom, like, I was like, what are you talking about, like, Ric Flair? Because I saw a tweet. I, I made, like, a declaration. I was like, oh, I'll bet you any amount of money. No one called me on it, but then when it turned out I would have lost, someone was like, "Oh, we could have taken all that Rick uh, Rick Flair boner money from you." I was like, <laughs> "I was like, okay, I don't know what he's talking about, but now I know because my parents told me." So that was a fun conversation this morning. Uh, but when it comes to fall wedding, and when it comes to weddings as a whole, I've only like there's only a handful of weddings I've ever been invited to that I didn't decide to go to. One of them. Um, I can't even remember. There's like two in my life. And I feel bad about both. Like there was some conflicts. Like I had to choose one wedding over another. And then there was like an almost adopting of a dog situation when I was still in an apartment. Just some weird stuff. So here's my take on fall weddings. I will go to your fall wedding, but I'm going to shit talk it on this podcast. Luckily, the one I went to last year, longtime friend, um, she doesn't listen. Um, very happy for her. It was a fun wedding, but I missed the TCU game. I missed Felix. Uh, my dad went with his former college roommate. He talked about how much fun it was. Oh, one of the greatest games. That blah, 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 blah. And so I went to that wedding. That sucked. Now it's Farmageddon, a big-time Farmageddon. And I typically go to the games in Ames. I didn't go during COVID, and I didn't go for Bill Snyder's last one. So it's been a while. I was going to go back. I'm looking forward to it. Nope. Fall wedding. But he's, he was one of my friends, very first friends in the world, kindergarten. He's a KU grad. His parents, big-time KU. They're KU season ticket holders. I'm sure they're on the road or it's their bye week. But I'm devastated, Jimmy. Yeah. I, devastated. It's tough. But I, I'll just say the, the only fall wedding conflict I can remember in the last decade plus was I had a really good friend of mine get married in 2012 during Farmageddon. Now, I will say this. I was in the wedding party, but we did get to sit down during the wedding, and I may or may not have pulled it up on my phone, and I may or may not, when the bride and groom came around and during the wedding, during the, uh, the mother part, and then they greeted all the wedding party, I may or may not have told them the score of the game at that point in time because I knew it. <laughs> so, I've been there in 
This is where smartphones are fantastic, Scott. Well, so you can you can cheat a little bit. Well, so know what's wild is that Chris Kleiman's first year. I actually had a group of friends. We were going to like fly to Atlanta and rent a van and drive from Atlanta to Mississippi State for that game. But then my cousin Michael got married, and his best friend is also named Michael, and he's a bonehead. So shout out to Michael living in North Carolina, my man. I miss you. Uh, and also shout out to my cousin. He's a, he's a dad, great person, my cousin Michael. I love all my family, despite all of them being KU folks. But it was the Mississippi State game. And it was the first time I, I remembered myself feeling super nervous. Like I showered and got dressed for the wedding. Uh, you know, during halftime, I'm like sitting there trying to watch the end of it. Like I had this like nervous feeling in my gut. And that's when <laughs> I knew like, okay, the Chris Kleiman era is back because and actually – no, I'm going to say it. There's some people who like hate me because of my thoughts at the end of the Bill Snyder era. But the moment I knew like we needed to make the changes cuz I, I I like forgot the feeling of that nervous energy with a football game. Like that final season of Bill Snyder wore me down, so I forgot that feeling and it's been back. And it feels good to kind of have that nervous knot in your stomach. And that Mississippi State yes. game, even though I had to go to a wedding, like I'm listening to post game, like my body was like shaking, <laughs> and like I was so hyped when I went into the church, like, oh, it was unworldly. So I'm hoping we get an 11 a.m. Farmageddon. I hope we win, and I have that same feeling driving to that wedding, getting to wear my lavender Ema tie. Uh, around a very staunchly KU family for a wedding. Good, so. good. Do it. And I love them. It, the odd chance that he happens to listen to this, I don't even know if he knows I have a podcast. <laughs> if you are listening, I love you, man, and I'm so excited for your wedding, and I'm excited to see your parents. Uh, you, you, one of my longest friends. So, again, if you happen to discover this, it's okay. <laughs> I'm going to be there. I love you, man. So that's all we have. Uh, I'm signing off. We love you guys. Check out Manhattan Brewing. We're going live 7 p.m. on ColorCast. Stay tuned. Just look at Twitter. It might be our Big 12's Overs and Unders podcast. And if you listened all the way through, you might be changing your opinion on Baylor. So for Jimmy Goheen, a.k.a. KSU underscore fan, I'm Scott Wildcat. Be nice to your pets. Be nice on the internet, except for to Iowa State fans and Bill. No, not Bill Conley. He's fine. But Stuart Mandel. He sucks. Talk to you later. It's time to get set for the cat attack. You can feel the excitement. You can feel it coming on. For Kansas State, the feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action. This is where you want to be. With Kansas State, come on, set your spirit free. Our pride is with the cats. Kansas State, come on, join the cat attack. Kansas State, excitement's in the air. Kansas State, the fun is being there. Having a good time there. Purple and white we share. Showing our colors everywhere. Kansas State, our pride is with the cats. Kansas State. Come on, join the cat attack. Sports Social Podcast Network.